Hello and welcome to the Locked on Flyers podcast for Monday, August 3rd, your daily dose of Flyers news, analysis, and high-quality content that is rolling into Monday on a high. We beat Boston. I don't even want to think about the last game we played against them. Like, this game matters. I'm so excited. Me too. Man, I forgot just how much I hate the Bruins and how good it feels to beat them. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. It just... It made my Sunday. It made my Monday. I'm so happy. If you want to keep to date, keep up to date on all of the Flyers things on Twitter, follow us at Locked On Flyers, and you can tweet us any of your questions or just tell us how much you love beating Boston as well. Um, and if you don't have Twitter, no problem. You can email us at lockedonflyers at gmail dot com. We're your hosts. I'm Danielle, and I'm Rachel. And today's episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selections, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. So on today's episode, we are going to recap uh, Sunday's game against Boston, talk about some news around the NHL, and wrap up with our nemesis of the week and Flyers fun thing. Locked on Flyers is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, so make sure you are subscribed to get all of our episodes here on the Locked on Sports Network. So let's jump into Sunday's game. Were you surprised by any of the lines, Rachel? No, I think, you know, we kind of got the hint that they were going to go with this Lawton on the second line wing, Thompson 4C, based on how practices have been going and you know, scrimmages and stuff like that. So I, I felt like this is was pretty expected in terms of the forward lines. Yeah, I agree with you. And like Rachel said, Lawton was on the line with Hazen Konechny, and then the fourth line was Pitlick, Thompson, Roffel, and um, same defensive pairings in the top four, and then Haig and Braun uh as the third pairing defense. And then, of course, Carter Hart started, and he saved 34 out of 35 uh, shots that he faced. And honestly, like, before we get into the game, I, th- I think Carter Hart was, like, my star of the game. He just, especially at the end of the game, like, he really just kept them out. Like, it was that, he was like, you, I, you got one goal, that's it. Um, he was fantastic. Absolutely. And yeah, I agree. He is the number one star of that game. First off, the Flyers had one of their patented slow starts to the game. (laughs) Did not look good at the very beginning. You know, the Bruins went up five to one in shots pretty early on. And, you know, Carter just looked super calm in front of the net, really great positioning. And, you know, once the Flyers got into it, it was obviously a little bit more even and then the Flyers kind of took over on shots but Carter Hart was there when they needed him and you're right at the end of the game especially when the Bruins pulled for the extra attacker just did not look phased at all I was super impressed yeah absolutely and you know that's so funny that you brought up the slow start because at first I was just thinking like wow Boston is just so good like I I don't know if it's just because I haven't watched Boston in a while but yeah they just looked like they were just so dominant and the Flyers just could not get it together but Carter kept them in it and they were able to get their feeding their footing and they looked so good another thing I have to bring up the Sandheim and Myers pairing like are they like they were everything you could ask for they looked fantastic Yeah, I was so blown away by them over the course of the whole game because Mm -hmm. not only did they work well together, but 
they really took it upon themselves to jump into the offense. Yes. And when they made mistakes, they made up for it. And they were in the right position to get a stick in a lot of times defensively. So the shot didn't even get through to Carter Hart. And I, I was just so blown away by the two of them in this game. It, it just felt like they took it up a notch and are a real like second pairing you know, and not just yes. kind of a default second pairing, if that makes sense. No, it does. It does. It absolutely makes sense. I completely get what you're saying because I, you, I, it's just like you can watch and see that they were like, no, this is the real deal. They deserve to be second pairing defensemen and not just thrown there because we have no one else. Um, I wanted to ask, uh, how surprised were you uh, at the Thompson goal? Because I was like, wait, it was Nate Thompson that scored that goal? Out of everyone on the fourth line, I would have never guessed he would score the goal. And it was such a good snipe, too. It was. You could see all of Flyers fandom just melting because we all kind of wanted Joel Farabee to play, but we understood why Alain Vigneault did this and structured it the way he did, and we're all just like, of course, Nate Thompson scores a goal. Yeah. And, you know, Raffle scores too, so the fourth line gets two goals yes. in this game, and yeah. you're just like, of course, AV knows best. We'll just stick, take a step back. Absolutely. And, I mean, out of everyone on that fourth line, I expected Raffle to score. I mean... But Nate Thompson, really, I and I am the I am the Flyers fans who was mad Joel Farabee did not start. I wanted him on to play in this game, but I mean, I really can't complain. That fourth line looked fantastic, and it got them on the board. When the fourth line was out there, especially when they got put out there with Sandheim and Myers, like really, I just they look so good. Like, <laughs> like you're so right when you said that they just uh, Sandheim and Myers really did push um, and jump into the to the play and and push offense because. It was very extremely noticeable for that line. Yeah, and speaking of good performances by lines, man, they did not get points in this game, but the Flyers' top line just absolutely dominated the Bruins' yeah. top line. Like, it was as if the Bruins, Patrice Bergeron, the imposter, not, not even there. Yeah, I completely agree with you. They, they were dominant, and you're right. They didn't get on the score sheet 5-on-5, uh, five five, but they looked fantastic. Like, that's what we want when we put that line against other top lines. You know, we need them to be dominant. And the depth shows through the scoring that it's not all on that line. Yeah. And, you know, I think that obviously Couturier dominated, you know, as far as his two-way play. But, you know, Giroux, of course, with that moment, taking the face off with his offhand when Coots gets kicked out of the face off circle. You're just like, what can these guys not do? Exactly. Like it's just it's such a luxury to have them on a line together, right? It's like, oh, one gets knocked out. Okay, the other one. No problem. Like you're not worried about it. The forecheck I thought also looked really good as mm-hmm. as you would expect it to be. I think at the beginning of the game Boston was just able to match it with speed getting to the puck, but yeah. then at a certain point they just dropped off and the Flyers did not let up and you know Nick Abe Kubel of course was in the mix all the time when he was out there. Very surprise surprise. I just <laughs> yeah and and you know that fourth line especially when Pitlick was out there and Raffle before yikes he got hurt. So yeah. Uh, yeah, I just thought that the Flyers were able to keep up that pace throughout the entire game and looked really good in that Yeah, one. I agree. I thought, you know, especially when they got their legs up under them, they just looked like the team that 
was playing in February and early March, and they looked like that team that was on a nine-game win streak. The best part, in my opinion, of the game, well, one of the best parts, I will say, is um, after that Wagner goal, just the quick rebuttal from Phil Myers. And what a shot. It was so good. I saw a tweet from Mike McKenna saying, yep, that's kind of what he does. I have the bruises (laughs) to prove it. Yes, I I saw the same thing. And uh, I mean, that that could change momentum. The fact that, you know, at that moment in the game, the Flyers were only up. uh, It was two. And then the the Bruins scored to only be up by one. And nope, Phil Myers came right back. It's like, nope, up by two again. And that, again, just does nothing but add to the Flyers' confidence and the confidence of the fans, because I felt very good after that. You know, Rachel, we talked about a good win uh, when the Flyers played the Bruins, but a good, really good personal win was when I found out about rockauto.com. Now, if you don't know, rockauto.com is the best for professional mechanics or do-it-yourselfers like myself. They have prices that are the same for everybody and are reliably low. Rockauto.com always offers the lowest prices, and instead of changing them based on the market, it's just the same for everybody, and you don't even need a membership or an account login to access it. No, and they're a family business. They've been serving auto parts customers online for 20 years, so they're somebody that you could definitely trust. And they have auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers, everything from engine control modules, brake parts, to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. You can get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. And best of all, like I said, the prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for everyone. So go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right, locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selections, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com One thing I wanted to bring up um, before we wrap up, but is the power play. I know Claude got uh, hit the post during one of the, uh, the power play in the first period, but what did you think overall? Um, you know, the, the Flyers didn't get a ton of power play time, so I'm not really worried about it. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that... I, I wish that they got sort of more organized setup time on it. I felt like, you know, the Bruins PK was was pretty solid against the Flyers. Uh, it was more the Flyers PK that I wanted to make sure was mm-hmm. on their game, and it definitely was. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, I agree with you. I, I would have liked, obviously, the Flyers to get, a, uh, to get a power play goal. I didn't think it looked as, I don't want to say as bad or as jumbled as it normally did, you know, you have to give credit where credit due. Boston's penalty kill is pretty good. But you're right about the penalty kill. I thought that looked fantastic. There were some time, there were some moments where I got a little bit uneasy, but really there were just so many times when the Flyers were just getting stick on puck and just knocking it out. And Boston has a very, very good pe- uh, power play. So I think, like, Pasternak has 20 power play goals in the season. So, like, the fact that they were able to, to shut him down was really, really good. Hopefully the Flyers can take this and just continue it on to when they face Washington, which, you know, I, out of all the teams that they were facing, um, Washington, I was the most confident or comfortable playing. Um, so we'll see how that goes, but they've looked really good on Sunday. Indeed. Good win. 
All right, so jumping into some NHL news, one of the biggest things or the biggest conversation pieces around the NHL in general was just their actions and specific teams and players talking about racism and the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, One of the first players, I think, to speak out on it was Nazem Kadri, who plays for the Avalanche. And in his media availability, he talked about... um, you know, what's going on in the world, his role in and trying to bring more awareness to racism and his support of the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, and then in the end of his uh, video, he talked about how he'd like to see a little bit more from the NHL addressing racism. And, you know, that video circulated around um, social media and specifically on Twitter. And then the Avs had or posted the same uh, video, but just cut out the part where he said um, he'd like for the NHL to, he'd like to see a little bit more from the NHL regarding racism. And then when asked about them cutting it, because it was kind of like an abrupt stop. It was like, he was just about to start saying like, and I like, and then it cut and it was the Avs logo. So when asked about that on social media, the Avs team was like, oh no, it was just, we just cut it because of time, but here's the full video. And they linked a video that was a completely different part of the conversation or a part of his availability. So it wasn't talking about his, like what he's doing on racism or what the NHL is doing. It was about like, I think the pedal power play. So that was a little suspicious. And a lot of people were talking about that. And then we'll link we'll link the um, the video. I think Sean Shapiro tweeted about it, and um, so we'll link it in the show notes. What did you think about that, Rachel? Yeah, it was a little perplexing, I think, because you know I'm I'm not a Nazem Kadri fan per se. You know, mm-hmm. like did not enjoy him on the Leafs. Was very happy to see him go to the Western Conference, but my goodness, like to get blatantly edited like that, it was. It was a little disturbing and the explanation was not okay or, you know, it just was not acceptable in any way. And it just felt like they were trying to whitewash the conversation. And so it like, it made me uncomfortable for sure. Yeah. And it just kind of like, you know, I felt sad for, um, Nazem Kadri because I know it's, it's taken a lot for him to, to speak out on these issues. And, you know, before, he was just definitely someone that was just keep your head down, don't talk about it. But now he is a little bit, he is more confident and, and comfortable speaking out. And the fact that your team just like literally cuts what you're saying um, is, it's a little disheartening. I would have loved to see him get a little bit more support from his team, even kind of support your own player and let him finish what he was saying. But, you know, and the next thing um, I'm going to bring up is something that I think a lot of people have been talking about specifically on Twitter, but um, instead of asking um, black players and or, or players of color about what they're doing or how they feel about the um, like the, what's going on in the world and racism in hockey outside of hockey and the Black Lives Matter movement, um, they said you know ask their white counterparts. And this was a really good article um, by Scott Powers. It was just five little things on the the Blackhawks, but he specifically asked Jonathan Taze what he was doing to continue his anti-racism work. Uh, There was a really interesting quote from Taves, and Scott prefaces this by saying that his answer is what you've heard from a lot of players. And he said, it had, this is Taves now, he said, this is, uh, it hasn't been the conversation this week. Obviously, we're all getting ready to play playoff hockey. It's been a weird situation for everyone to get into this bubble situation. Literally a short training camp and then trying to get ready. 
but I think there will be a time that the conversation will go back to that. I think there has been a pretty positive response from guys across the league. Some of the black players in the league have been at the forefront getting guys involved and getting guys on the same page. I think there's been great conversation in progress, and I'm happy to be a part of it. That was just like a really interesting quote to me because it's it's kind of something that I figured would happen that soon as hockey starts, like everyone stops talking about the Black Lives Matter movement or just racism in hockey and in, you know, the U.S. or anywhere, actually everywhere in general. And um, but it's it's kind of like a little not surprising coming from Taze, but just from everything that he was saying, like he's listening, he's learning. You would think that he would know that, you know, anti-racism work is never done and it's not really something that you should just be like, oh, we'll put a pause on it and, you know, come back to it later. Um, And I don't think that, you know, I can only speak for myself, but I'm not like specifically asking players to like go out and march or do anything crazy. It's just like, you know, mentioning it or, you know, stepping up and supporting, you know, your teammates or, let's say Matt Dumba, who we'll get into a little bit later, um, when he was kneeling right before the game that you're playing in, uh, standing in solidarity next to him, or God forbid, kneeling in solidarity next to him, would have been a nice gesture. It's not really something that should take up too much time or too much time away from getting ready for playoff hockey. But that's just my viewpoint on it. I I don't know what he would say to something like that. Yeah, it was a little uncomfortable I would say you know especially when you see other sports you know specifically the NBA and the WNBA and NWSL and it feels like other sports are doing so much more and are so much further ahead than hockey and and it's been obvious for a really long time that hockey does have a race problem given how white the sport is and to see just continually over the course of the weekend players of color isolated whether it's in speaking out and feeling like they aren't being supported or literally you know locking arms together separate from other players it just has felt at least to me that players of color were kind of being hung out to dry across the board and any white players who were saying anything were talking like tasted about you know, putting stuff to the side or talking in generalizations and platitudes like I'm listening, I'm learning. But what are you learning? Tell me something you've learned. Yeah. You know, tell me something you've done. Tell me something you've read that you learned something new from. You know, it doesn't have to be that you solved the world's problems. Just give me one thing. (laughs) And I, you know, that's a really good point. Yes. You know, and I feel like maybe some of these guys do feel pressure to do it all. And so they do nothing or they feel like they can't say anything or they're afraid they're going to mess up. Well, we all mess up. I mess up all the time. You just have to, you know, take that plunge. And it, it was so blatantly obvious that there was still this racial division. And the fact, you know, that Matt Dumba had to, you know, and the Diversity Alliance had to beg to make that happen. And then to see Dumba basically out there by himself, and kneel by himself you know with two players of color flanking him and yeah and none of the white players just you know they say like oh we support them but it doesn't seem like it it just seems like words and like hockey come on nhl like 
you do better. That's a really good point. And uh, we'll link Matt Dumba's, um, what he said in the show notes. There's a, there's an excerpt of what he said, like, uh, and then a video. And it's, it's really, it's really good and really touching. I'm so proud of Matt Dumba because that took a lot of guts. Like you said, he was literally by himself and he had two black players, um, stand next to him, but they weren't kneeling. They were standing and, you know, there's so much controversy over kneeling in general. And then there's specifically so much controversy in hockey over kneeling. And to be the first player to do that and to have to be by yourself is just, I mean, it's, it's really scary. And it wasn't even his game. It, that was exactly. the thing. Yes. It he wasn't had to go to game. another team's game and talk to these players and say something from the heart like that and so powerful to guys that he doesn't even play with and to mm-hmm. to feel like he wasn't getting the total support that he needed was just it was heartbreaking for me it was i mean again like just hats off to matt dumba i i can't imagine but i'm just so thankful that he is strong enough to do this because it takes a lot um especially when you're by yourself and, and he's in the playoffs. Like, you know what I'm saying? He's also preparing to try to get into the playoffs, but um, he still found the time to do this. And, and that just shows you how important it is to him. How cool or how meaningful would it have been if it was Connor McDavid and Jonathan Taze? It's just, you know, we'll never really know. Yeah. But, yeah. So like we said, hockey. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so there was also obviously some games that happened in this span. It wasn't just all um, heavy stuff. It was um, some games, and we got the Canes that won over the Rangers. Uh, The Flames won over the Jets. The Hawks won over the Oilers. The Isles won over the Panthers. The Yotes won over the Preds, and the Habs won over the Pens in overtime. So where were you surprised there were some upsets, or what were you thinking? I think it was more that the realism of hockey came back. You know, there was <laughs> in terms of like you know dirty hits and you oh, know oh yeah Drake Kajula's hit on Tyler Ennis, which he got suspended for, and then of course like Mark Shifley oh. getting you know the skate to the leg and and being out of that game, but then also Patrick Line being out and yeah. like oh god Jets, I feel so bad. Yeah, and like I you feel knew so bad. You knew, like, this was going to happen. Like, one team was going to get a ton of injuries. And you were just like, oh, no. But, like, oh, I'm so upset. It was the Jets. Oh, I feel so bad. Where are you on the stance of was that intentional or was that unintentional from Kachuk? You know, it's hard to tell, mm-hmm. honestly. I mean, I wouldn't doubt it if it was intentional. But also just looking at the video itself, you know, his – it could have been that his, you know, skate came up from under him. Yeah. And that's how the blade wound up, you know, on Shifley's leg. But I can't say for sure, to be honest. I feel torn because I like the Jets and I like the Flames equally. And I am, I've said that I am a Kachuk family fan. So I don't think that Matthew is a dirty player. Like it would intentionally hurt someone. Um, he just seems like he's just like an aggravator, wants to get in your face, get under your skin, but never really hurt someone. But, and, and like, it looked like it was, it, like, it, I mean, they're on skates. So, like, if you lose your balance, you know, sometimes your leg or your arm goes up and it's not 
I mean, obviously it's not good, but it's not like you, you don't mean to do it. But then again, I don't know. Cause he's been on skates since he was like, what, three, four. I don't, I don't know. But yeah. I just, I'm, I just feel so shattered for the jets and I completely understand Paul Maurice's <laughs> frustration and anger and even Blake Wheeler. I know people were upset that he wanted to fight yeah. Kachuk. It's tough. Them being down their number one center and then a top six winger. It doesn't look good. Some I don't know if you call them fun, but the Hawks win over the Oilers was quite an upset after the Oilers came out with a quick, you know, early goal. Mm-hmm. And the Yotes over the Preds also... You know, I mean, yeah. we wanted well, the Oats to win, but but the Preds, you know, they they came back into it, but it was mm-hmm. too little, too late. So yeah, I wonder what what's going to happen the next game. But you know, I have I'm not high on the Preds. No one on their team genuinely scares me. Like on their forward, I'm I'm a little scared of Roman Yossi. But um, so yeah, I'm not like I don't think they have what it takes to get into the playoffs. Or even to win around, but I don't know. I don't watch them that often, but that's just, like, my feeling. So I wasn't surprised the Yotes came out hard. And, like, the Yotes might have something to fight for because their GM just, like, up and packed up and left. So they're like, hey, we're a good team. Anyone should want to, like, you know, be in this organization. Maybe it's, like, out of spite. They're like, let's get to it. And then also Darcy Kemper is very good. (laughs) Yeah. Can't forget that. Hawks and Oilers, like... I was happy the Oilers lost, but then I was like, oh, here we go about Jonathan Taves back in prime form and this is where he excels and all of that. One thing I did have, uh, or one question I did have when watching all these playoff games, like I thought this was the play-in round, so like every this isn't the playoffs, but apparently like all of the the records and stuff count as playoff games. Uh, like like I said, the... It's very the rookie, confusing. Yeah, the rookie in, in, in the... Uh, in Chicago is like this is the first ever player uh, to get five points in a play- uh, rookie to get five points in his first playoff game but I was like I thought this was a play in round this isn't a playoff game unless there is it is playoff games and this is the fifth round or like you know the first of five yeah talk about confusing but I'm sure there will be many more surprises and upsets to come thankfully the Flyers are on the, the better end <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so getting into our nemesis of the week, you know, after watching a couple of these games on NBC, I, I just have to say the nemesis for me is the NBC broadcast. Uh, they Their commentary, Mike Milbury, enough. I'm over it. And it's only, I've only watched like, what, two, three games. I've muted and have just listened to the game silently. <laughs> That's what I did yeah. the last game. It's a little bit torture. Yeah. Uh, well, I watched the game with the Flyers second screen experience and in lieu of some of the commentary. And oh, that's uh, a good I, we'll talk about it on another episode, but there, there was a lot to unpack there as well. Oh, good. good. I, you know what? I have to do that because I, I didn't watch the fan experience and, and now I'm suffering. So if you haven't watched it, we watch it because it's a lot better than the NBC broadcast. And to wrap up with our Flyers fun thing, the Flyers social media tweeted out a video of Carter Hart getting ready in warmups. And he, of course, did his uh, jump squat that he is, like, historically famous for. I mean, other goalies do it, too. But, like, if you know, you know. Carter Hart always doing it is just 
so adorable. <laughs> and it's from far away, so he looks kind of small. So it's just, it's so funny. Um, and a classic. So we will link that in the show notes as well. And then retweeted, it's retweeted on our Twitter account. So if you don't follow us, you should. So with that, we want to thank everyone for listening to today's show. We'll be back again tomorrow where we are joined with Erica Ayala, who is here to join us to talk about women's basketball and who we should root for as Philadelphia fans. And as a reminder, we always want to hear from you. We will have a weekly mailbag, so make sure you get us in your questions, comments, concerns. On Twitter, we are at LockedOnFlyers or LockedOnFlyers at gmail.com. My name's Danielle, and you can find me on Twitter at Danielle underscore Nick. That's Danielle underscore N-I-C-C. And I'm Rachel. I'm on Twitter at rmiriam. That's R-M-I-R-I-A-M. Now tune in to the most recent episode of Locked On NHL.